The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one is better, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Shine your light. You are salt. And then Paul, at the end of that second reading, said something startling. You probably didn't quite catch it. You have the mind of Christ. To steal Kim's sermon title from last week, You Are, we could do You Are the sequel. Because Jesus doesn't say, go out and shine your light. He says, you are the light. He doesn't say, go out and be salt. He says, you are salt. I love what Bob Smith, a New Testament professor of mine, said about the Beatitudes when it comes to these you are's and these blessings that come just before what we heard today. Jesus' Beatitudes are bolts of lightning splitting the skies. They crack open the heavens, astonish the eye and ear, and carry with them the smell of burning ozone. They are ecstatic, inspired declarations trumpeted from the mouth of the revealer, and they are brimming with infinite grace. What we heard about that brimming with infinite grace last week, where's that grace today? What's Jesus up to as he now moves into this sermon that we're hearing last week to this week and next week called the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, what is he up to today? Notice that he gives us an oxymoron here. Did you know salt really can't stop being salty? <laughs> and light, you don't, it keeps shining. Um, and then he says something really interesting that gets me thinking about maybe Jesus is doing something beyond just giving us a list of to-dos when he says, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, what is going on here? Is Jesus just simply giving us a better law, more law? 
he says very clearly, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to, you know, water it down so you can do it, which is what human beings typically do with the law. But before I answer that question, I think it's important just to acknowledge the context in which we live today. Helen Lewis is a writer for The Atlantic and the host of the new podcast for the BBC, The New Gurus, which explores what it means to be a 21st century guru and how, to, how the internet got completely overtaken by them. She profiles productivity hackers, dating coaches, wellness influencers, crypto bros, I don't even know what that is, diversity experts and heterodox intellectual heroes, all of whom are making a living captivating millions of people with their sometimes unconventional ideas, sometimes old ideas, sometimes new. But we live, according to this writer and this podcast, in the age of the gurus. And that has some resonance with me. I've spent many an hour looking at YouTube lectures and videos, and then I look down and I see that some of these people have three million views. And while the gurus have risen, the trust in institutions is plummeting to the point where Gen Z, the youngest generation, only 8% of them trust institutions. Interesting. What's going on here? I mean, this writer has said that um, the, the internet has now become a digital playground almost, or actually better said, um, a revival tent of old. We have gurus and experts on everything. They are the authoritative figures, and now what really divides us isn't just left and right and conservative and liberal, but whose guru do you follow? Is Jesus just another guru? And if you're not sure what I mean by I'm not using that term pejoratively, I'm using that term like an expert. I mean, I know the Sikh religion was found on gurus, and this, this word comes from the East and from Hinduism. Um, I know Sikh religion is different than that. So, but anyway, it comes from the East, but it's become for us a term for an expert. So whatever word you want to use, is Jesus just another expert, another lawgiver, another person that gives you um, the expert advice on how to live? Some of these gurus probably have a lot to say that's good. I don't know. I mean, I just listened to one the other day that said I shouldn't be eating tomatoes anymore. That's why I gain weight. I don't know. Maybe he's right. And of course, they usually start out by saying, I have knowledge, I have something that no one else wants you to know. The establishment, those institutions in particular. And maybe they're right. But I want to ask the question, is Jesus just another one of those? Paul, interestingly, in our second reading, which I, I admit is kind of hard to grasp, is contrasting Jesus with the Greeks' love for wisdom and knowledge and intellect. That seems to land, doesn't it, as we now live in the age of the guru, the expert, the coach, the teacher, the, the one who has the true wisdom, 
And the interesting thing, when I think about these gurus, is that it has almost become religious. Because when you break their commands, there is a kind of penance you have to do. And notice in our culture, when someone now breaks a new norm because they were following an old norm, or they're following an old norm against the new, whatever it might be, the, the new law, the new um, norm standard, how they get punished and how they have to do penance. If you don't know what I'm thinking and talking about, think about the cancel culture. And you see, the guru and our culture and norms, well, all they have is law, and that's what the law does. So, as a, so if you don't know, if you're, not, if you're new to Lutheran parlance and, and language, we like to distinguish law and gospel. Law is a norm, is a standard, God's expectation, and God has the law. And Jesus said today, he did not come to abolish that law. He didn't come to water it down. He, did, he didn't come for that. He, so, so we've got the law, but then we've also got something called gospel. And gurus, this is the way you know a guru, they don't have the gospel. They may have a law, which is a good law. It may be helpful. I mean, it may help me be more healthy or, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be. But they don't have the gospel. But our culture puts and invests in them like they do. And so a lot of people look at Jesus and say, well, he's an interesting guru. I'll take a little bit of him, but I like these others too. I mean, I'm pretty sure when the Doobie Brothers said that Jesus was just all right with them, for my generation, folks, that's who he was talking about. They were talking about. I don't think they were talking about the one who died on the cross and rose on the third day. Or when Mahatma Gandhi supposedly said this, I guess really now there's a question, but that he said, I like your Christ, but I'm not crazy about your Christians because I don't see the Christians looking like Christ. I'm pretty sure that's who Gandhi was talking about. You see, these folks don't know the gospel, and we invest in them way too much. So is Jesus, though, just giving you another law? Is he just a better guru? Well, I'd like to say he is, by the way, because I'm not sure any of those rose from the dead. And I know you could say, well, how do you know, and et cetera, and well, let's have a cup of coffee, and I'll talk about that. But I think Jesus is doing something more today in this sermon. In fact, he, the reason why, here's my evidence for this. He says, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. So you know what that means? And boy, I see the clock. I got I to gotta go. So important that you hear all this. Oh, my gosh. Because you're going to go home and give an hour to those gurus on YouTube. I know you are. And all I got is 12 minutes. It's going to be 15. Sorry. What was I saying? No. <laughs> okay, doesn't matter. Sorry. I think Jesus is doing more because he says your righteousness has to exceed the scribes of the Pharisees. It's like um, if you told me that, Bill, um, you've got to run as fast as Carl Lewis used to run or Hussein Bolt used to run. You've got to run as fast as them. Okay, get out there and do it. Come on. 
I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous, and so what is Jesus doing? And then here's another reason I think he's doing more than just being a guru, is notice what he says. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he also didn't say, I've come to, you know, help you do the law. No, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. In Greek, the word is pleroma. It means fill it up, accomplish it. He came to do it for you and for me. When he says, shine your light, he's talking about not your light, but shining Jesus. And you know how I know? Because when you shine his light, it gives glory to God. When we do all of our good works, well, who gets the glory for those? You see, Jesus is talking about something else. Being salt isn't what you do. Shining the light isn't just what you do. It is what you say. It is what you proclaim. It is the office. This comes from right from our namesake, Martin Luther. It's the office of preaching. It's the office of telling people the gospel. Paul says it this way, you have the mind of Christ. You what? Have the mind of Christ? Yes, you have his righteousness in the faith of your baptism as you trust in what he did for you. You have his mind in you. And yes, that's going to flow out in works of love and and service and, and all of that good stuff, all of those good works. Let your good works shine before others. It's going to happen. And the reason why I'm so passionate today about this is what I see happening in the world is people follow those gurus and then they find out that those gurus are just ordinary, messed up human beings and they do stuff. And one of our kids, we started talking about Mother Teresa in high school, and one of our kids right away said, well, you know, Mother Teresa did this and this and this and this and this. You know, see, our, our, our heroes are broken, sinful people, including our namesake, Martin Luther, We don't trust in them. We don't trust in them. We trust in Christ because he isn't just the giver of the law. He's the doer of it. He comes and preaches the law sometimes, but he is the gospel, and you've been given the gospel. Don't put your allegiance, your ultimate allegiance. Sure, listen to him. Do him. Do what, if it helps you, great. Get out there and work, but don't put your ultimate allegiance in these gurus because it's idolatry, and it will come crashing down. The only one to put your trust in is Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who died and was raised on the third day. So let your light shine in the midst of the age of the experts and the gurus that Jesus is Lord and Savior because He will take you home without a doubt. Amen.